0: Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, Literally Heather. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We're going to get right into it because I got a lot and I'm running late. Four years ago in Arizona, a woman had an abortion. She was not ambivalent about the decision. She was upset to learn she was pregnant, scared of giving birth, and did not want and never wanted children. Even so, Arizona law requires a pregnant woman to be given information prior to terminating a pregnancy, risks associated with the procedure, legal information like the fact that the father would be liable for child support if she carried to term, etc. In In Arizona, a woman must sign a consent form officially acknowledging receipt of that information and then wait 24 hours before she can obtain an abortion. The woman signed her paperwork, returned the next day to pick up the pills. Six days later, she came back for a follow-up visit and the abortion was successful. Fast forward two years and that woman's ex husband, Mario Villegas, Villegas um, created an estate for the aborted baby and filed a lawsuit on behalf of the baby against the doctors and clinic who um, provided the abortion. Villegas accuses the clinic and doctors of failing to obtain his ex wife's informed consent, thus committing malpractice, causing the wrongful death of his child and violating his fundamental right to parent. A lawyer representing the doctors and their practice made a last-ditch effort to avoid trial in the case, asking the judge to issue a summary judgment, finding that the woman had indeed given her informed consent. In depositions, the woman and her doctors all said the same thing, that she knew what she was doing, she was fully advised, and they did the abortion according to Arizona law. The purpose of the statute is to make sure that the mother is properly advised and makes an informed decision, and this young lady did. Villegas' lawyer didn't dispute that she signed the paperwork consenting to the abortion. He argues her consent wasn't informed because among other technical faults, the clinic's paperwork didn't use the phrase unborn child when describing the embryo as Arizona's informed consent statute does. The judge in the case, Judge Brian Chambers, is considering the motion to resolve the case without a trial and says he will come to a decision within 60 days. But Villegas and his lawyer successfully convinced the judge that Villegas should be allowed to argue his ex-wife's baby, whom they call Baby Villegas, in legal documents is a purpose, I'm sorry, is a person for the purpose of the wrongful death lawsuit. If the case goes to trial, and if a jury ultimately finds in favor of the plaintiffs, it will be the first time that an aborted baby has triumphed in a wrongful death lawsuit, ushering in a new legal threat, not just for doctors, but for females who abort their children. A U.S. public health task force is now recommending that everyone over the age of 18 should undergo mental health screenings for depression, and those between 19 and 64 should be screened for anxiety disorders, even if they're showing no symptoms of these mental health disorders. I'm sorry, I keep having to, like, pause the recording. My allergies are killing me today. So it's either that or I, like, go, like, every five seconds. Um, On Monday, the U.S. preventative... Services Task Force published their draft recommendations for new mental health screenings for a large majority of the U.S. population. While not yet mandatory, the advice this panel publishes has an influence over how doctors practice medicine throughout the United States. These recommendations are in draft form and are open for public comment through October 17th. Lori Burt, a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Massachusetts, Chan Medical School in Worcester, told the Washington Post that these mental health screening recommendations were being evaluated even before COVID, but said that the era of lockdowns has had an impact on mental health throughout the country. Um, no shit. She said, COVID has taken a tremendous toll on the mental health of Americans. This is a topic prioritized for its public health importance, but clearly, there is an increased focus on mental health in this country over the past few years. While I feel slightly vindicated about screaming that this would all have a massive mental health toll that would last for years, it still feels slightly nefarious to see the same community that force-fed you vaccines and locked you in your homes in the name of Big Pharma is now flirting with conversations in the idea of mandatory mental health screenings. Create the problem, create the cure, right? A new proposal passed by the California Air Resources Board cements that the state cements that state as the first to ban natural gas heaters and furnaces. The decision was passed unanimously and aims to phase out sales of the space heater and hot water heater appliances by 2030. This commitment is part of a broader range of environmental efforts passed by the board this week to meet the federal 70 parts per billion eight hour ozone standard over the next 15 years. Leanne Randolph, who is the chair of this organization, said, While this strategy will clean the air for all Californians. It will also lead to reduced emissions in the many low-income and disadvantaged communities that experience greater levels of persistent air pollution. Space and water heating make up nearly 90% of all building-related natural gas demand, so this article says that natural gas does emit less carbon dioxide than oil or gas, but natural gas leaks pose health risks To homeowners as they contain varying levels of volatile chemicals linked with cancer. They're doing this for your own good. The new regulations will rely on adoption of heat pump technologies which are being sold to electrify new and existing homes. Although the proposal does not include gas stoves, several cities and towns in the state are currently banning or discouraging the use of gas stoves in new buildings. California's Public Utilities Commission also eliminated subsidies for new natural gas hookups last week, marking the first state to do so. The move will help reduce greenhouse gas emissions and lower utility bills for consumers. Randolph lauded the state's step towards achieving the ozone standard, but stressed more federal action is needed to reach the goal. Color me shocked. California reaching for federal federal implementation. She said, California needs more federal action to clean up harmful diesel pollution from primarily federally controlled sources, from locomotives and ocean-going vessels to aircraft. What, are you going to make electric barges that, that travel across the sea? Good luck with that. And they are all concentrated in communities that continue to bear the brunt of poor air quality. We simply cannot provide clean air to Californians without the federal government doing its part. This is the same California that just had to shut down entire blocks due to toxic fumes from a Tesla mega-pact burning unexpectedly. They invoke low-income and disadvantaged communities, but don't discuss how these individuals are supposed to be able to afford to retrofit their homes to be in compliance. Later today, NASA's Double Asteroid Redirection Test spacecraft, or DART, is set to collide with Dimorphos, which is a small asteroid that is the moon of a larger space rock, Didymos. While these two near-Earth objects pose no immediate threat to our world, NASA launched DART last year to test a technique that could be used for planetary defense. DART is set to crash into Dimorphos at 14,000 miles per hour at 7.14 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today. NASA Television will broadcast the coverage of the end of this mission beginning at 6 p.m. In 2005, Congress set a mandate for NASA to find, by 2020, 90% of near Earth asteroids that are big enough to destroy a city, those that are 460 feet or wider in diameter. But Congress never gave NASA much money to perform that task. So it remains more than half unfinished, with about 15,000 more of such asteroids to discover. I don't know how you know how many you need to discover if you haven't yet discovered them. But, you know, what? I'm just a mom in Indiana. The DART mission isn't like the movie Armageddon. Blowing up an asteroid generally would not be a good thing to do. Rather, the mission is a proof of principle demonstration that hitting an oncoming asteroid with a projectile can nudge it into a different orbit. DART will essentially be a self-driving suicidal spacecraft guiding itself to its demise with the people at the Mission Operations Center at the John Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory spectating. Elena Adams, who is the DART mission systems engineer, said, You're moving extremely fast, and at that point, you cannot really send any commands. So, your system has to be very, very precise in how it's controlling the spacecraft. Dart's camera will not spot Dimorphos at a separate as a separate dot from Didymos until about an hour before the crash. Then it will adjust its flight path resulting in the collision. If Dart and Dimorphos connect as planned, the small asteroid's orbit will get closer to the large Didymos. The magnitude of the change will depend on the structure and composition of Dimorphos. If it is solid and carves only a small crater, then the change will flow with the basics of Physics 101, two objects colliding and sticking together. Because DART is moving in the direction opposite to Dimorphos, it will sap some of the asteroid's angular momentum, causing it to move closer to Didymos, and it speeds up. If Dimorphos is more like a pile of rubble held together by gravity, then the impact will create a deep crater and send a shower of debris flying into space. Because what could possibly go wrong sending a billion-dollar spacecraft towards floating rocks to cause them to collide? With no control over the vehicle. This going to be great to watch. Uh, the upcoming referendums being held by Russia-backed separatists in Ukraine may give Russia's President Vladimir Putin what he needs to justify a nuclear strike. This week, Russian state news agency TASS reported that separatists in four territories of the Donbas region will hold referendums on joining Russia from September 23rd to September 27th. Such votes had previously been prohibited by law from being take- from taking place. Putin could use the referendums to find reasons for an attack that are in line with the conditions Moscow has set for the use of nuclear weapons. John Irath, who is the senior policy director at the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation, indicated that the referendums from the so-called Luhansk People's Republic and Donetsk People's Republic could hand Putin the legal pretense to consider those separatist-backed territories as parts of Russia. Although the army doesn't have full control over these territories, the Kremlin will likely use the votes to formally annex Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson. In the case that those occupied territories are formally admitted into the Russian Federation, any efforts from Ukraine to take back those territories will be seen as a direct attack on Russia, which would then include those occupied territories pending the upcoming votes. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Iraq noted that Putin has already drawn a very clear line that if Ukraine puts one foot into Russia, which would then include those occupied territories pending the upcoming votes, Putin would then have legal grounds to use nuclear weapons. What is unknown is how Putin is learning from the developments and are they impacting his worldview and decision-making. There is more escalation from Putin to come, according to retired Lieutenant General Robert Ashley, adding that the timeline as to how slowly or how quickly he's willing to escalate the war remains to be seen. As if members of Congress don't show us how lazy and worthless they are on a regular basis, Nancy Pelosi has extended proxy voting in the House, which allows members to vote without being president in the chamber due to the ongoing health, public health emergency. Of COVID. Days after Biden declared the pandemic over, Pelosi declared that Congress is still keeping some of the public health measures in place, including the one that allows members to be absent for floor votes. One of the most iconic scenes that I can recall, I think, is when a vote was taking place and a member of Congress was calling in, like via Zoom from a yacht somewhere. And Thomas Massey and someone else, I can't remember who, um, are looking at one another, like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, The extension conveniently runs through November 10th, just days after the midterm elections. The extension of proxy voting may help House members arrange schedules to campaign more in their home districts. Tim Ryan, who is running for uh, District Against J.D. Vance, was criticized earlier in the summer for campaigning while voting by proxy. And Cindy Axney from Iowa was visiting France while voting on the Inflation Reduction Act. Naturally, Republicans have capitalized on the opportunity for a talking point, one in which they are not wrong. Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin condemned the extension. Earlier this week, he said Biden claimed that the pandemic was over. It seems everyone but Speaker Pelosi agrees. By extending proxy voting, Pelosi continues to allow members to forego the most important component of their job, voting, and lied to their constituents in the process. Wow, Collecting a paycheck, any member may vote by proxy if they submit a letter to the House clerk citing the coronavirus pandemic as the reason for their missing the vote and designate another member who will cast their vote for them. It's amazing to me that visiting Paris and sending a letter citing the coronavirus as the reason that you cannot be there to vote was an accepted uh an accepted excuse you you can't vote, you can't do your job because of coronavirus, but by golly, let's go see that Eiffel Tower. Fuck you, lazy ass people. Um, <laughs> it looks, though, outside of the DNC and somehow her own district, Nancy Pelosi is not that popular. She made a surprise appearance this weekend on stage at a music festival and was booed by the audience. Uh, she appeared at the Global Citizen Music Festival in New York City. It has been organized by the Global Poverty Project with the goal of helping extreme end extreme poverty in many parts of the world. This year's festival featured Metallica, Mariah Carey, and the Jonas Brothers. Aside from the odd mix of artists, Pelosi was called up on stage by actor, musician, and activist Priyanka Chopra as she took the stage to discuss efforts to combat climate change many members of the audience began to boo her. It could not have happened to a better person, really. Uh, North Korea has fired an unspecified ballistic missile toward the east coast of South Korea. Japan's defense minister says the missile reached an altitude of 50 kilometers and is believed to have landed outside its exclusive economic zone. The launch came a day after South Korean officials said that they had detected signs that North Korea was preparing to test a missile designed to be fired from submarines. On Friday, a U.S. aircraft carrier arrived in South Korea to participate in joint drills with South Korean forces ahead of a planned visit next week from Kamala Harris. It's the first time that North Korea has carried out such a launch since June. New satellite images revealed new construction and barges at the Sinpo South shipyard on the east coast of the country, which is critical to North Korea's new ballistic missile submarine. Six new barges and vessels were detected around the submarine construction hall, which was not previously present. North Korea has accused the United States and other hostile forces of spreading rumors to pursue its base political and military aims. They have dialed up their testing activities to a record pace in 2022, testing more than 30 ballistic weapons, including its first ICBM since 2017, as it continues to expand its military capabilities amid a prolonged stalemate in nuclear diplomacy. I am old enough to remember that a sitting president crossed the DMZ for the first time since the Korean War not too long ago. And yet, here we are. The world stage perceives weakness, and they are capitalizing on it. That is your Monday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning, I hope you guys have a great Monday. Uh, Make sure like there's a little flame button. Hit that. Share. Do all the things. Um, It helps make a comment. All that stuff helps with the algorithm. I love you guys. You guys take care and have a great day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out ShouseInTheHouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.